Sometimes Judaism requires us to do hard things. Why? Why do we push ourselves out of our comfort zone to do hard things for Judaism? Interestingly enough, this is the story, the question that Esther had to grapple with in the Purim story. Welcome back. I'm Gila Ross, host of the Power Up podcast, where we share short, relatable insights from the Torah to create more love, more meaning, and more joy in your life. And in this episode, we're going to look at what made Esther the heroine Esther and how that is something we can bring into our own lives. Welcome. It is nice to have you all join us. The title of tonight's class is Purim, Queen Esther and Your Place in Judaism. Okay, now I want to ask you a question. Has anyone here ever had to do something hard for Judaism, like had to kind of fight a little bit for Judaism? It was very interesting to hear people's responses. Hard for Judaism, I think we've had this conversation before, haven't we, about... Have we? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, it's always good like, when people remember the conversations like, more than um, I did. Like Brit Miller is one of them. I think that's a very hard decision. Um, having two boys, you've got four, mm. I don't know what you've got, but I feel like those are decisions that actually you don't really necessarily want to make. Or you might not necessarily disbelieve in the midst of, but the actual concept of it doesn't always sit right. Yeah, there are not a lot yeah. of, of Jewish parents whose the only reason that they do a Brit Milah is because it is a mitzvah, mm-hmm. right? Myself included, right? The only reason for me, it was never should I or shouldn't I? I always knew if I was going to have boys, mm-hmm. um, I was going to give them a Brit Milah. But like, if I think back to before I had my oldest son, like, I would where I was and and I would never if he was if we weren't Jewish I would never have given him one right and it it is for a lot of Jewish moms it's a very hard mitzvah to do you know your postpartum is a brand new baby and so yes yes that is a, that is definitely something hard I think when I had Sophia Dan was relieved that she was a girl <laughs> then we decided to have another one and that was a bit of a bonus yeah I think he convinced himself that he was a girl right. Um, <laughs> Oh. But yeah, but actually it was different because it was just coming out of the pandemic, so I think it was more private, it wasn't such a public affair, mm. so it felt a bit more controlled. Yeah. And they're not bragging about it type thing. It sounds weird that but and then with some we had a pigeon of them, so we were able to kind of keep the bliss a bit smaller. I know it's just I don't know, Dan never it was something we'd never not do. Right. Something that but, never but, really But it was because you were yeah. Jewish. It's interesting, yeah, because my, my Yitzi was born during my pandemic and he was born in May. So it was like high up in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it was just the family for the Brits. Mm-hmm. It was so nice. <laughs> you at the beginning, James was at the end with the right. car. Yeah, so yeah, my, yeah, yeah. So yeah. my, 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 so my how husband. Because I'm just supposed to have a minion. So how do you. How you, do not, you do not you need, need a minion. You, oh. Apparently, you don't need it. Well, I mean, we literally had. It was my husband. My older son, who was 16 at the time, and the Mohel, who was in the room. Um, I chose not to be in the room. Um, and, like, that's it. That's it. The other kids, I, I don't remember where they were. They weren't. But it was just, it was, but it, 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 it was a nicer, I found. Like, it was just, it was, like, the yeah. first one yeah. that I just didn't feel like, wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, anything else that we've done? Well, we'll do. 
and you know what? I, 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 there's lots of things. There's lots of things, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what your religious levels are, right? Like for most people, you know, at some point you do something hard because it's Jewish, because because you're Jewish, right? Um, whether it's choosing to send your kids to a Jewish school, and if you know if that's what you choose to do, and to pay, um, and to pay tuition, right? However much you do or don't pay, right? Um, anti-Semitism in the workplace, right? There are some people that yesterday when we were talking about it, there were some people that were talking about like you know having to take off, right? Whether you take off Yom Kippur or whether things, right? Especially if you're taking off, firstly you have to stand up for yourself and ask for that time off, which is not always easy, especially if it's at the beginning of a job or, or whatever. And sometimes you have to take that time out of your of your annual leave, which is also hard, right? Why? Why do we do hard things for Judaism? It's the pride of who you are. Okay, it's the pride of who you are. It's yeah. interesting because I wasn't, um, I don't hear that answer often. <laughs> it's a beautiful answer, but I don't it's, hear that, that answer often. Yeah, I think there's some things you do because you've always done it. Yeah. And I think some things you do because you genuinely want to and believe in it. And I okay. think it's hard to sometimes differentiate those things depending on what they are. So like, why do you take two days Rosh Hashanah off? Some people might say because I've always have, or some people say because I genuinely, you know, believe. And okay. Like I said, I feel proud mm -hmm. in doing whatever. Um, Hi, Maddie. Yeah, I think it Sorry. just depends, doesn't it? Some things you do because you just do, and some things mm -hmm. you do because you you want to do. It's a yeah. bit interesting following on that because I, you know, you, being Jewish, you accept things as you said, yeah. but with Ariel. My oldest, he questioned it, and why do you, mm. why do we do that? And it's more, but you don't always have the answer mm. because it's just, it's just mm. always been the norm. And yeah. when you ask that question, you actually have to think, why do we actually mm. do this and do that? Yeah, but that's good though. I think that's that's yeah. a good mind that to mm. ask because we don't ask sometimes. I think I was definitely brought up with a you just do, mm. and that's even my parents just did. Yeah, and I think now with that generation where it is, we can ask why. Right, and it's yeah. not it's not good. Like our kids generally don't just do because we because we said so, right? Yeah. Um, not my kids anyway, <laughs> right? Like which um, the, the truth is, it's look that is the generation of of maybe it works for us somewhat. I don't know. I don't know if it works for us that 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 you know do it because I said so. But it's definitely not working for our kids, right? They don't just do things because we tell them so. If they if you if they can come to us and ask their questions and say but like why, then it's a, it's it's a different place because then you're they're able to to have that conversation um, with you, right? So any other reasons just besides you know be be um, aside from 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 proud to be Jewish guilt. Guilt. So let's talk about it. <laughs> I was, for that one. I was yeah. waiting for how did you know? <laughs> let's talk about it because what you know, what what discussion about you know Jewish yeah. Judaism and and Jewish continuity would be complete without without the Jewish yeah. guilt, right? Yeah. What is it? Let's let's um, invite it to the table. <laughs> I just think guilt's everywhere, isn't it? Okay. There's always that guilt about you know six million died because of mm. there's that always that. You know that holocaust thing in the back and it's part of our kind of you know way it's funny because years ago i was chatting to a non-jewish person and i can't remember what the conversation was about and he said holocaust history is really big in your community isn't it really big in your culture and i actually never really thought about it because it's just something that we we do mm. 
when it, whatever, however we do it. And I said, yeah, I guess so it is. It's just part of you. And we seem to sometimes forget biblical history, but other history, we seem to not really... It's true. Yeah. And it is true. Um, and it's it's a whole different discussion yeah. on its own, the, the Holocaust. Sorry, did you no, want to no, uh, uh, Right. Um, uh, um, the Holocaust. But let, let's... Let's focus on the guilt for a second, yeah. right? And I'm not I'm not getting into whether it's healthy or not healthy because I actually don't I actually think um I'll just put it out there that passing on Judaism because you know you gotta be Jewish because six million died is is not a healthy way to pass on Judaism, it's not a healthy way to live Judaism. But for a lot of us it's a reality, right? That there is kind of like the, the guilt that we kind of subconsciously buy into that like six million died and therefore what? So what is the therefore? What is the guilt there that, that's kind of put into us from when we were young? Maybe it's because we want to continue the the tribe. We say it's just, if, if we just go and just assimilating all that, that it's just, we're just going to disappear. Whereas, and you think that six million people died for being Jewish or even not even acknowledging they were Jewish, but because they had that lifeline, we just got to be there so that we can continue right so so you you've actually you're, what you said is fantastic right because what you basically said is what drives the the right you can't be the one to break the chain what drives although ilana it's it's slightly different than that ilana's saying you can't be the one to break the chain but a lot of time what drives the the the, the guilt about the holocaust is this i this the fear that you know we come from a long line of judaism our ancestors suffer terribly, think about the Holocaust, and if we don't fight for Judaism, if we don't um, make an active decision to bring Judaism into our life, then it could, you know, the fear is that we will all assimilate and there will not be a, a Jewish future, right? I think that's, would you, would you agree that that's the driving force behind the Jewish guilt, the, the, the Jewish guilt is that like, if we don't opt into Judaism, What's going to be with the Jewish future? I don't know. I think the guilt is probably the fact that people died because of being Jewish, or like you said, not even acknowledging. And but basically, they are they've died in vain if you don't continue. And I think that there's definitely that rhetoric isn't kind of you know they've got they went through this because they were Jewish. We only we owe it to them to actually practice Judaism. Right. Which is an it's, it's an interesting thing. Let, let, let's get back to it. It's an interesting one because we don't necessarily say it with other things, right? Uh, you know what? Let, let's just just let's just say it now because I think it's an interesting point. Is that we don't say, for example, that um, you know people died surfboarding, for example. So therefore, we should all start surfboarding, right? I'm saying that there's there's something there's 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 again. I think I think it, as Ilana said. There's a long line of Judaism. Mm -hmm. There's this inherent feeling that Judaism is important, right? And that as a Jewish people, we have the, the obligation, the responsibility to uphold it and pass it on, right? And there's, and, there's, and there's the fear that if we don't, then what's going to be with the Jewish future? Now, it's interesting because I don't know how much you do or you don't know about the poem story, but this comes up in the poem story. And I think it's a very, very relevant part of the poem story. And it's, uh, um, when we, before we moved to Manchester, we used to live in Western Canada. 
And the way it is in North America is every Jewish community has um, uh, um, the... Um, not, it's not the Fed, the Fed is in the UK, Federation, Jewish Federation, right? Which kind of, Jewish Federation kind of generally oversees, supports, fundraises centrally for, for the Jewish community and helps out, helps support the Jewish community locally. And they're all sort of connected. So every few years, what will happen is there will be a survey about Judaism, right? Um, I don't know if you know the stats of, Ju of Judaism in, in North America. Guess what the fastest growing great group of Jews are? Okay, you think Haredi? Orthodox? What, anyone else? Want to um, guess? Masorti, not Masorti. Um, Conservative? Yeah. No, the other one. Reform? Oh, um, what's it called? Misrati. Misrati. Right, I don't think they have that in North America, I don't know. Actually, the fastest growing group of Jews, and this is very sad, are unaffiliated Jews, right? Mm. The fastest group of growing, the fastest growing group of Jews are Jews that are saying, we're opting out of Judaism, right? We're not interested. And you have to also understand that generally when federations do, when these surveys are done, the, the, it's, it's, it's usually the person themselves um, um, labels themselves, right? So they'll label themselves orthodox reform conservative unaffiliated etc right so it's not that someone else is deciding who is or isn't unaffiliated it is you know the surveys generally say that these are the jews that are saying we're unaffiliated right for whatever reason but judaism they, is not important to us communities fill these questionnaires out sorry will they fill the questionnaires out some will it's haredi community is large because they look visibly different you can pick out yeah, a Haredi true. Jew from from true. a non-Jew in the crowd you cannot pick out a a um look look it's, it's not it's not a discussion about yes it is sad it's not a discussion but like I was I was thinking even in the UK right so the UK I think is a little bit further behind in terms of assimilation in North America but okay so you have a Jewish community in London you have a Jewish community in Manchester even South Manchester, but you go outside of that, and it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a sad state. It's, it's, it's not, it's not reassuring, right? So what happens usually is these surveys will come out, and then people will, will react to them, and very often the, the federations will sit down and they will say, "What can we do to ensure Jewish continuity?" Right, and. As a professional who used to work in North America, it was, it was often a question that I was kind of um, brought to. Let's keep that question in mind because, the, again, this question kind, kind of comes up in, in, the, in the poem story. So let me give you a, a quick update of where, where we are. So in the poem story, right? So what happens is the poem story is um, Homon, who... Um, let, let me just give you a quick update. So Achashverosh throws a party. Mordechai, who is the head of the Jewish people, tells the Jews, don't go to the party. It's not appropriate for Jewish people to go to. The Jews ignore him. They go to the party anyway. Achashverosh gets drunk, asks for his wife to come. His wife refuses. Vashti, who is his wife, his wife refuses. And he turns around to his, his ministers and he says, what should I do? Okay, my wife refused to come. What should I do? So Haman, who is one of the ministers, says, look, it looks absolutely terrible. If everybody knows that you asked your wife to come to you and she said no. So this is what you should do. You should kill her. So Akashverosh says, great idea. He has her killed. Yeah. 
um, um, it's, it's off to a great start, the story, right? Oh. So so the, it, what happens is he gets over his hangover and he realizes what he's done. He's like, oh my goodness, now what? Right? So Haman comes back and he tells him, look, I'll give you advice. Um, throw a beauty pageant in, the, in, in, in your entire mm-hmm. empire. Get all the girls to come and choose a beautiful girl. You'll have a new wife. So that's what he does. He makes a compulsory beauty pageant and all the girls come. Mordechai has a niece called Esther. And Mordechai tells Esther, look, you're going to have to go to the palace and, you know, for Achashverosh, but don't tell anyone that you're Jewish. Esther listens. She goes, happens to be Achashverosh, chooses her as his new wife, right? Now, Achashverosh and Esther, is um, the new wife, the new queen. Meanwhile, Homon is rising. He becomes prime minister and he is a little bit of an egomaniac, or actually a very much an egomaniac. And he insists that everyone in the, in the, in the, in Persia bows down to him. Everyone does. He makes it a law. Everyone does, except Mordechai. Mordechai does not refuses to bow down. He says, I, you know, bow down before God. I do not bow down before people. Um, which actually is a, a fascinating life thing. It's like, I please God, I don't please people. <laughs> Imagine how much healthier our lives would be if, if we ran by that, um, um, you know, mantra in our head. So, so what happens is, Haman goes um, um, is wild and he says he, he says I'm going to wipe out all the Jews he goes to Ahasuerus he asks for permission to wipe out all the Jews Ahasuerus gives him permission and he sets a day he draws a lottery he sets a date on the, on the 15th of Adar when he's going to wipe out all the Jews okay the Jews hear about it distraught right complete annihilation it's, it's, it's terrifying Mordechai goes to Esther and he says to Esther he sends a message to Esther and he says listen Esther you are placed in the palace, right? He says, go and, bu- and beg the and beg Ahasuerus to save the Jews, right? Like, he's almost telling her, like, look at it, you know, all the Jews are being um, threatened to be wiped out, and you're the person, you're the one Jew that's placed in a position where you can help. Now, what does, what does, Ahasuerus, what does Esther answer? And I'm actually going to read it out to you because it's... Um, it's it's um it's the words itself are very interesting okay so esther says mordechai says go go to the king and esther says to him esther um, Esther says she says all the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court who is not summoned his law is one to be put to death right except for the one who, to whom the king shall accept, extend the golden scepter so that he may live. Now I, I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days, right? So what is, what is Esther telling Ahasuerus here, uh, Mordechai here? She's telling him, listen, Ahasuerus has a rule, right? That if he doesn't invite you in to, to, and you go to him uninvited, he could kill you unless he extends his, his golden scepter, right? Now I haven't seen him for 30 days. So what she's really telling him behind this, behind here is she's saying that, look, you're asking me to, to go and do this, but this is the risk. I, um, if I go in and the king decides not to extend his golden scepter, I'm going to be killed. And we're talking about someone who has a track record, right? He's killed his previous wife, right? He, he could kill her. And she's saying, I haven't done it. Um, I haven't been summoned for 30 days. Like, he's going to want me at some point. Also, the other thing to bear in mind is this conversation took place Pesach time. So it's 11 months ahead of time. So she's all, it's almost like she's telling him, look, let, let's just let's just wait and see what happens, right? Um, what would you say that time? If you were Mordechai, you know, 
Think about it. You're the, you're the head of the Jewish people. You're worried about the Jews all being wiped out. Esther is the one person who you feel could actually, you know, save the Jewish people. And she's kind of like, ah, ah, too risky. What would you say to her? No, because she's, you would say that she's representing the Jews and the only one that is close enough to Hashem. Yeah, she is. She's, look, she's, she's, there's no one else that can do it, right? And there's no one. But with Vashti, he did it when he was drunk. He wasn't, he, he won't necessarily be drunk. Uh-huh, yes, so maybe he'll make more level-headed decisions. Yeah. Okay, you could say that to her. That's a good, that's a good argument to make. What else would you say to her? I want to, I want to, I want to read out to you the worst motivational speech in all of history, I believe. <laughs> um, so uh, definitely the worst record I've ever heard. Anyway, so what if I said, do not imagine in your soul that you'll be able to escape in the king's palace any more than the rest of the Jews. Okay, so the first kind of thing he's, he's kind of saying makes sense. He's telling her, look, Esther, I get, I get it's a risk, but you have to understand that the other way is also, also a risk because don't, don't imagine that you're going to be fine in the king's palace. But then he says, for if you persist in keeping quiet at a time like this, Relief and deliverance will come to the Jews from another place, while you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether it was for such a time as this that you attained the royal position. Which is like, to me, it doesn't make sense at all. Because um, what he's basically telling her is, um, you know, look, if you, if you don't go, you might be killed anyway. But if, and, and, and also you should know that if you don't go, the Jews are going to be saved anyway. What would you say at that point? Think, put yourself in Esther's place, right? Like, going is an incredible act of bravery. You're risking your life, right? You're literally risking your life. There is probably a 50, 50 chance, or, or maybe even more, that the king is not going to stretch out his golden scepter. And then Mordechai tells you, if you don't go, we're going to be saved anyway. What would you say? I'll give you a tiny little analogy. Imagine you're really tired one day, stretch your imagination here, <laughs> and the kitchen's a mess, stretch it a little bit more, right? And you kind of look at the kitchen, you're like, I really should clean it out. What motivates you to clean up the kitchen at that point? Just that you don't have to walk in in the morning and see. You don't have to walk in, you don't have to walk in, but sorry, it, it's, it's not just because you're there, it's, it's because you know that if I don't do it, no, one else no one's going to do it. Right, I'm going to walk downstairs yeah. to a filthy kitchen, yeah. right? Yeah. Now imagine if someone turned around to you and said, look, you could do it, but if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. How motivating would that be to you? You'd be like, wow, wow, now that's a threat, right? But then you think, you might as well do it because they won't do it good enough anyway. Mm. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, but here he's... Okay, so, so you're kind of answering that maybe um, um, one minute. So, so let, let's find out before, before, before we what what um, what Esther's response is. Okay, so what's Esther's response is? She says, "Go assemble all the Jews that are to be found in Shushan, fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, and I with my maids will fast. Also, then I will come to the kings, though it is un unlawful, and if I perish, I perish." Right? It's it's so this conversation. Is is it just me or do you also find it a little bit peculiar? Mm. It's a bit strange. Like, what is going on here? Mordechai asked her to do something, which we can understand, right? She's the queen. You know, we would also say that. Look, how do you know why you were chosen to be the queen? Maybe this how is it. How become the queen if he wasn't the king? Who? Haman. Because she married Achashverosh. 
Oh, sorry, Haman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Haman was Haman, the sorry, prime yeah, minister, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. We would, yeah. we would also say that. Look, how do you know this? Maybe this is why you were chosen to be the queen, right? Then she brings up a leg legitimate concern, saying, "Look, I might be killed, right? And if I'm killed, not only am I killed, but then where are you left, right?" So she's saying, "Maybe it's better to wait." And what does Mordechai say? Mordechai says, "Listen, if you don't do it, we're gonna get saved anyway." But maybe you and your, your your father's your father's house will be perished, right? Which is another question of what's going on there. And then what does she say? Is she and what does she say? She says, "Fine, I'll do it. I'll do it. Just go go pray for me, and I'll fast, and I'll do it." What does she hear there that that motivated her to do it? Any ideas? She doesn't want anyone else's life to be put at risk, so she's happy to sacrifice herself. But then she would have been happy to do it before he said something. There was something in the conversation that he said, and I'll ask you another question, another thing. Why is Mordechai saying we're going to be saved anyway? How does he know? I mean, you know, sometimes people say, you know, people go through tough times and people turn around to them and say, it's all going to be okay, right? But usually when people say that, it's because they don't know what else to say, right? They don't say, like... Mordechai is, is the leader of the Jewish people. Like, why is he turning around and saying we're going to be saved anyway? Was it a prophecy? Yes. Well done. Um, so the reason why um, um, Mordechai is, is saying that is because he knows. He knows for a fact that the Jewish people are going to be saved, right? How does he know it? Because as Charlotte told us, there is a prophecy, right? God gave us a prophecy that there will always be a Jewish, few, a, a Jewish people. And what's fascinating, if you, if you look at world history... And um, um, the Jewish people, you look at like other nations compared to Jewish people, the Jewish people are always teetering along at, at you know, at, right at the bottom of the chart because we're like, I don't know, 0.2% or something of the world population. Other populations come and they go and they come and they go and they rise. But like, you know, and we can see already in, in, in our history that it doesn't, you know, Mark Twain writes famously that, the Jew is immortal. No one understands why the Jew is there, but the Jew is there, right? It doesn't make sense, but we do have a prophecy that there will always be a Jewish people. So that's why when Mordechai turns around to her, he can say it with confidence that we will be saved, right? Because I know that we'll be saved. So if we're going to be saved anyway, right, then why, why, why should she risk her life? Because God doesn't just save, you have to make efforts to go out and save yourself. You but why? We have a promise. If it's like it's like a joke, isn't there, where um, a guy's drowning yeah. and then there's a helicopter. And yeah. Yes. Just, yeah, and it's like, but God didn't save me. Yeah, how many things do you think he brought to you to try right. and save yourself? <laughs> yes. So it, it's kind of that concept of you've got to do something about it. We, I, we guide you through it, but you can't just sit and expect me to just do it for you yeah, i get that you can't you're right that you can't my question on that is why not if i if god has a promise that there will always be a jewish future why can't i just sit back and relax and, and be assured that my kids are going to be jewish my grandchildren are going to be jewish why couldn't esther turn around and say look there's a promise so god will save us why do i have to risk my life you have to work it why <laughs> <laughs> it's not faith you've got to have faith in you yeah, but why do we have to, if we know uh, again if you know 100 percent that your kitchen is going to get clean tonight why on earth would you get up and do the kitchen why 
motivation. But uh, the only fulfillment, mo- peace of mind. <laughs> peace of right? mind. But it's not oh, peace of mind to risk your life. Why? Why? So here it is. It's the answer is in the next sentence that he says to her. He says, relief and deliverance will come to the Jews from another place while you and your father's house will perish. So here's a very cool backstory to the Purim story is that Haman was a descendant of Amalek. Esther was a descendant of King Sha'ol. King Sha'ol was tasked with wiping out Amalek who were um, enemies of the Jews. He did not fulfill God's um, mitzvah at the time. And as a result of it, he left um, one person alive from the the Amalek people. As a result of it, Haman was became, was a descendant of them, right? So Mordechai is telling her, yes, yes, Esther, there is a promise that there will be a Jewish future. That promise is on the Jewish people as a whole. Mm-hmm. There's no promise on the individual, right? Mm-hmm. He's saying, will you be a part of that future, Esther? That is your choice. That is your decision right so what does it mean what does it practically mean and and he's saying look maybe this is the moment you were put in the palace so that number one you as a descendant of king Charles, can have that opportunity to rectify what your your um ancestor that's the word <laughs> um ancestor did um, um did wrong but also while before up to this point esther was if you listen to if you listen to the read the megillah You'll see, and you want to sort of get a sense for who Esther was up until this point in the Megillah. All she was this passive personality who did exactly what Mordechai says. She hears this conversation and she changes. She becomes the heroine of the of the poem story, right? She, we all know that the heroine of the poem story is Queen Esther. She risked her life. She saved the Jewish people. Why? Because she heard the call. And that is the question that we have. That is the question that we live with every single day. Is there going to be a Jewish future? 100% yes. So why do we have to fight so hard? Because there will be a Jewish future. But will I be part of that Jewish future? Will my children be part of that Jewish future? Will my grandchildren be part of that Jewish future? That is totally dependent on the decisions, the choices, and, 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 and you know, and the choices that we make, right? If we make that choice to opt in and to say, Judaism is important to me. I want to continue the chain, right? And I would encourage anyone who's, you know, who's, I want to continue the chain because we went through the Holocaust to widen that because you want, we want to widen, we want to continue the chain because it is a privilege to be a Jew. It is, um, it is a responsibility to be a Jew, right? We we are we have a rich heritage. We have a a, a value system that has influenced um, the world, right? Western a lot of Western values. If you look in, if you look at them, equality of life, etc. They all come from the Torah, right? Which is a whole other conversation, right? Our our heritage is is rich and beautiful, and on on a very individual level, it adds so much meaning to our life. But if we want to be a part of that. And if we want to 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 pass that on to our children and 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 our grandchildren and their whatever, then and and our souls for eternity, then we have to answer the call the same way that Esther answers the call. And every single one of us gets that call. Maybe it's not as dramatic. Maybe it's not as dramatic as we have to say, you know, that 
whatever, I have to risk my life. But we all have to risk something, risk our comfort a little bit to opt into Judaism. And that's when we get to decide whether we will be part of the Jewish future or not. But I think most yeah. people, not everyone, but most people have hit a crossroads, haven't they, when it comes to potentially Judaism. So tell me more about that. So some people might, you know, engage with, you know, certain relationships that might not be on the path that they necessarily would have taken, or decisions on schools, or there's lots of different things that you might come to a crossroad and think, actually, I've got to make my own decision about whether I want to continue with Judaism. A hundred percent. Yes, a hundred percent. I think we, we all do, we all we all have moments like that, and I think we all have multiple moments like that in our whatever life. those moments might be. There is definitely those elements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, someone, someone that I know um, 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 from Calgary, he he has. I, I, I may have shared his story. With sexy yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know the story. Yeah, you know the story, right? Again, yeah. he had a moment. I can say that the sexy she got. <laughs> I know. I was waiting for someone to just describe. I hope he's not. Very beautiful wife. I hope he. I hope he and him and his wife are not listening to this castle. That would be slightly embarrassing. But um, um, I don't know. Maybe he'll he'll, maybe, he'll yeah. enjoy that that yeah, tagline. But again, he had he had a moment, you yeah. know, where, where he kind of had to say to himself that, look, you know, I'm given an opportunity to go and explore Judaism. And what motivated him was at that point in his life, he had left the Jewish community, he had nothing to do with Judaism. And I can't remember what happened. And he listened to that call, he heard that call, and he started to become more involved. We had a moment like that in... in um, when we were living in Vancouver, it was slightly no, it was it was it was, it was a moment like that as well. We were both working in fantastic organisations. We were both, you know, really, really thank God, impacting people. Our, our, you know, financially, everything was great in terms of our job, and we had enough. We really, and my older son was starting high school, and it was he was going to go into high school with one other religious kid in in his year group, and we realised there just wasn't enough infrastructure. And I remember, I remember that. What what motivated me was um, I, I remember I didn't want to turn around when he was eighteen and regret not moving, and that's what motivated me. We, we moved to Manchester um, five and a half years ago. We both had no jobs. We were willing to go into business and do whatever to make it work for our kids. And I don't regret it. I look back and I say and I say and I say. Firstly, I don't regret it because from a Jewish point of view, because I know I did my bit. Right, whatever my kids end up choosing, I know I did my bit, and I don't regret it from because it's such an incredible thing to be able to turn around to your kids and said and say I gave it all up because I wanted you to have the 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 um the the opportunities that you have. So, and and I think you know we have bigger moments like that, but I think every single day we have moments like that. You know, every single day when when we choose to see God in our life, when we choose to how we choose to celebrate Shabbat. Right, that's a moment every single week. Right, wherever you are in your in your Jewish journey, um, if you if you are not lighting candles and you make a decision to light candles, that's a moment where you decide to say, "I'm going to put my Judaism in front of my comfort." Right, if you are already doing it, but you decide to take it up a level or whatever it is, or to or to put more energy into what you're already celebrating, these are all moments in our life that keep on coming up where we get to answer the call just like Esther, right? And what's interesting is in, in you know, in, when you read the Megillah, 
it's really a fascinating story to read. One of the things that people don't often realize is that it took place over nine years, right? So you can read the Megillah, right? And you can and you you can instantly pick up out the key moments, right? But if you're living through it, you don't know what those key moments are, mm -hmm. right? Maybe she may not have Esther when she had this conversation. She may not have realized. Hold on a second. This is a turning point in my life, right? So sometimes those decisions that we have to make are not. They don't necessarily seem big at that time, right? And sometimes it's it's like the small decisions that we have to make, like the small times where we kind of say, you know what, this isn't totally comfortable for me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna choose it because. Judaism is important to me and I want to have that Jewish future for myself and my soul and for my future generations, if that's relevant, um, then, then, you know, sometimes those are the moments that, that um, what's the word, you know, when they snowball into the bigger moments that really end up um, changing our lives. And, and if you think about it, like Esther, you know, what what became her role is, isn't you know, we talk a lot about the future generations but really she's the one like she's the one that became queen esther because she made that decision um to opt into judaism and i think that's that's you know it's nice to hear the poem story but it's also nice to kind of ask ourselves mm -hmm. the poem questions and one of the poem questions is is you know yes there's going to be a jewish future yes there are going to be jews in 20 2300 or whatever whatever it is but is my family going to be a part of the Jewish future? That's a question that I'm going to have to ask myself and I'm going to have to answer by how much effort and energy I put into my Judaism. Thank you for listening. I'm currently offering all listeners a free strategy call so that you can get clarity on how you can get what you want in life. Check the show notes for how to access this offer. Thank you again for listening. Please take a moment to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. And please share because sharing is caring. Thank you and have a wonderful day.